Luke chapter 7, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, then kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Here ends the Bible reading. Many thanks, Chris. And good morning, everybody. Let me introduce myself if we haven't had the chance to meet before. My name is Ken Matthews, and I'm the minister here. I hope I get the chance to get your name uh, later on uh, after the service. Our topic for this morning is real love, which is why we've just read that story from Luke's gospel about an act of outrageous love. People will do the most outrageous things for love, won't they? I wonder if you've done something outrageous in your time out of love. Like, I don't know if you've uh, come across these brilliant wedding proposals. Uh, there's this, uh, this guy here who uh, knew his gal could never say no to an adorable dolphin. Or what about this woman here who didn't know what was coming until she saw the picture at the end of the log flume ride? Think it through. Think it through, folks. Or how would you feel coming home to find a Jane Austen-themed proposal all set up for you to step into, dress and all, like this lady? And I love, I love this outrageous story that Luke tells us here in 
chapter 7 of his biography of Jesus' life. I love it. And I hope that you will too. I hope that actually sometime this week you might go back to it, open it up and read back through it and be moved by what you see. Because here we discover that real love is not an outrageous gesture for somebody who we find lovable. But it comes from discovering that God loves you even when you aren't lovely. Even when no one else will. It all starts with a meal, doesn't it? And at this meal, we find three central characters. We've got Jesus himself. Then there's the host, Simon the Pharisee. And then there's the sinful woman. And Simon and the woman show two very different approaches to life. And they boil down to two very different approaches to Jesus. Let's have a look at them. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Now, Simon and this woman are very different, aren't they? Simon is an important, self-sufficient man, self-sufficient man. He's a member of an exclusive religious group called the Pharisees. The name Pharisee means one who keeps himself separate. And that was Simon's philosophy in life. He separated himself from bad practices, bad company, bad influences, bad people like this woman. And yet, enter stage left, she comes. She was a sinner and couldn't hide it. She was well known in the town. And we might try and fathom a guess at what made her such a notorious sinner, but Luke is considerate enough not to tell us and thereby protect the anonymity of this woman who was most likely part of the early church. But do you see, she's not separated from others. She has no moral high ground to occupy, and so she lives with a certain abandon. She doesn't mind gate-crashing a party. She doesn't mind (laughs) wasting a whole bottle of expensive perfume on somebody's feet. And because of love of Jesus, she doesn't mind making a scene. And what a scene she makes. Can you imagine if you were at the other end of the table? uh, You wouldn't have known what was going on, except you'd maybe start getting this beautiful fragrance starting to fill your nostrils. And maybe you'd call out a compliment to Simon the host, saying, oh, that's that's, that's nice, Simon. Is that a new type of airwick? But Simon doesn't answer. His jaw has hit the floor. So you follow his gaze, and then your jaw hits the floor. It's that woman. You know who she is. You know what she does. And yet here she is, acting in a highly inappropriate manner, uh, uh, with her paws and her hair and her tears and her lips all over Jesus, or at least all over Jesus' feet. You don't know where to look. In fact, no one does. 
And I'm sure Simon's first reaction would be to be outraged on behalf of Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. I don't know how she got in here. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll sack the butler. Jeeves, come here. You're fired. But pretty soon, Jesus is outraged at Jesus. Why isn't he sending her away? Why doesn't he shun her and reject her? That's what Simon wants to do. That's all Simon can think to do when he meets a sinner. He can only think to judge and shame her. Simon would have swatted this woman away like a bug. But Jesus doesn't. He welcomes her. And he receives her love and her worship. On either side of Jesus at this party, there are two very different worlds. Two very different approaches to life. And that's what makes this story so compelling, doesn't it? Because as we read, we're being asked, well, which side are you on? Where do you stand? Jesus splits this room too this morning. Who are we with? How do we approach life and how do we approach Jesus? Do we basically think of ourselves as one of the good guys? In which case we shun sinners and are shocked that Jesus would welcome them. Or are we like the woman? A sinner. And we don't care who knows about it. (laughs) We just want to get to Jesus and throw ourselves at his feet and love him. I don't know if you've ever seen the Channel 4 program, Come Dine With Me, where the contestants compete with one another at dinner parties. I mean, who thinks about these kind of things? Who comes up with these kind of concepts? Uh, If you haven't seen it, um, then it's worth a watch at least once. Because if you've seen one, then you've seen them all. Because basically, the the, the premise is uh, essentially about two things. First, they throw together all kinds of different people around the dinner table. So you've got the straight-laced accountant alongside the, the wild rock chick. And when you put people together like that, when you mix them together, it is fascinating to see what happens. But then secondly, what they do in this program is they introduce the element of judgment to the dinner table. So as you watch, everyone is around the table is grading how the dinner party is going. And so while people outwardly may be laughing and polite and uh, complimenting the chef, in their private moments, they tell the camera what they really think. This duplicity makes for wonderful television, but terrible dinner parties. When you bring judgment around the dinner table, it spoils everything. The dinner table should be a place of love and acceptance, of peace and respite. But when judgment enters in, everything is ruined. And come dine with me, gleefully films the wreckage. Now, if come dine with me, we're filming this dinner party here in Luke 7, we can imagine the camera crew taking Simon off to one side to see what he thinks of the sinful woman. (laughs) And Simon would complain in harsh tones. Verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. But then in verse 40, we read one of the greatest comebacks in the history of comebacks, I think. (laughs) As Jesus answers Simon's internal dialogue by saying, Simon, I have something to say to you. (laughs) Do you love that? 
Simon thinks Jesus should be more concerned with this woman. But Jesus is actually more concerned with Simon. (laughs) Isn't that brilliant? In this room, there's this flagrant sinner and um, this upstanding moralist. The moralist thinks that Jesus should be worried about the sinner. But who is Jesus more worried about? The moralist. Why should that be? Well, Jesus gives us a story to explain it in verse 41. The story goes something like this. Imagine two people who have some money problems, and against all advice, they log on to givemecashnow.com, and they take out one of those payday loans. It seemed like such a good idea at the time, but soon the interest is really starting to rack up. And it's not long before one of them owes £3,000 and the other £30,000. Can you put yourself in their shoes for a moment? Maybe you are in their shoes right now. Maybe it's all that you can ever think about. Maybe there's 3,000 pounds racked up against your name and you don't know how to pay. Maybe there's 30,000 pounds against your name and you're at your wit's end. Well, imagine you phone up givemecashnow.com and they say, oh, can't pay. Never mind. Your debt is cancelled. It's gone. Have a nice life. Can you believe that? Can you believe that there are any moneylenders like this one described by Jesus in verse 42? I wish my bank manager was like that. In fact, I'm tempted to put these verses on a Christmas card and send them to my mortgage lender at Christmas. I encourage you to do the same. I mean, let's see what's going to happen. I mean, this is one of the hardest verses in the Bible to believe, isn't it? Jesus says that there is a moneylender who simply forgive debt, forgives debts to the tune of 3,000 and 30,000 pounds. It's astonishing. But then you realize that Jesus is the moneylender. You see, we owe Jesus everything. He is our maker. He gives us life and breath and everything else. And yet we take his gifts and so often we just push him out of the scene. We ignore him, the giver which is hugely offensive. It's a massive slap in the, in the face for Jesus. And that puts us hugely over our heads in debt to him as we just treat him like a cash machine. But God's response is not to send around the debt collectors. Is that how you think of God this morning? As a loan shark who holds your debts against you, who is out to get what's rightfully his from you and to hell with you and your well-being. Is that how you think of God? Are you tempted to think of him that way ever? Well, God is not like that at all. He's like the most extraordinary moneylender who forgives us our debts. Look at Jesus. Look at his arms wide open on the cross for you. Taking your debts on himself and paying them in full there. So that you can know that you are loved freely and forever. I have a little object here. He's called Rabbit. Let me introduce Rabbit. Say hi. No, I'm not going to make you say hi to Rabbit. This is is Rabbit. Rabbit is a a very elderly, dirty, raggedy, soft toy. Um, And she's had to have surgery many times to try and fix um, her... uh, her dodgy tummy, and as you can see, um, she's, uh, she's bursting open at the seams once again. 
Um, she's broken and utterly worthless. I wonder if you'd pay me any cash for this this morning. I mean, worthless. But to one of my children, at a point in her life, this rabbit meant all the world to her. So if rabbit was lost at bedtime, it triggered an incident of international proportions. We would move heaven and earth and furniture in order to go out and seek and save rabbit and find rabbit so that rabbit could be reunited into the loving arms of her owner. Maybe you've known a child like that. Maybe you've known a soft toy like that. But you see, sometimes it's not the basic worth of a thing, but the value that is put upon it that matters. And we will never know how valuable we are until we see the lens that God went in order to bring us back to himself. We will never know how much we are loved by God until we consider what it cost God to forgive us our debts. It cost him his son dying on a cross. When we see that, when we get that, when we receive God's love and forgiveness through Christ, well, folks, it liberates us to love too. For when you understand the size of your debt, when you understand Jesus and what he's done for you, you're going to love him with all you've got, aren't you? And you might just fall at his feet with tears of gratitude, overcome with emotion, like this woman in Luke 7. For this woman knows her debt, she feels it, she weeps over it, but more than that, she knows the forgiveness and acceptance of Jesus. And so she overflows with joy and loves her Savior unashamedly with abandon. But Simon? Well, he seems to almost have no comprehension of his debt, does he? Do you see that in verse 44? Then turning towards the woman, Jesus said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Simon and his friends are baffled by this woman and Jesus' treatment of her. And maybe like them, you don't get how Jesus could forgive sins and how that could ever apply to you. You see, Jesus like Simon, merely as a teacher or a prophet, you have some respect for him. You'll listen to him a bit. And you'll hang around with him a bit. But you won't throw yourself at his feet like this woman did. And in fact, when you see someone loving Jesus with abandon, unashamedly, following him in every way, you find it a bit distasteful, a bit over the top. A bit embarrassing, it disturbs you. Well, can I gently suggest that if that's you, maybe you don't know Jesus. 
And maybe you don't even really know yourself. You don't know yourself because you don't recognize your debt. You think your financial position with the bank of heaven is okay. And you don't realize that you are in desperate need of a bailout just like every single one of the rest of us. We had a fella here at church last week called David Hamilton uh, who was telling his story about how he came to faith um, in prison uh, uh, where he was for terrorist offenses in Northern Ireland. Uh, Ben alluded to him earlier on. He said last week at the 9.30 service that this picture on the front page of his book is actually a picture of his mother-in-law. But I can confirm it's uh, him (laughs) in his youth. (laughs) But after a similar interview, a different event, David was once asked... How can you tell us we need Jesus? (laughs) We're not terrorists. And he said, if God's standard was me, then all of you are righteous. You all pass the grade. You're all better than me. But God's standard is Christ. And all of us fall short of him. See the point? We are all in debt Sam is not like this woman, it's true. But he's nothing like Jesus. Nothing like him. In fact, this moralist couldn't be more unchristlike if he tried. Think how different they are. At Jesus' dinner table, sinners are welcomed. At Simon's, they're only judged. At Jesus' dinner table, there is intimacy, there is joy, there's tears of gratitude, there's love. At Simon's, there's fear, disdain, self-righteousness, and accusation. What right does Simon have to feel superior? He is so unchristlike. He is so lost in the darkness of his own soul. Folks, let's take a reality check this morning. Let's take a reality check. Do we know ourselves? Perhaps we're an unchristlike sinner. Then again, maybe we're an unchristlike moralist. But we're all unchristlike. Do we know that we are massively in debt and need a bailout? And do we also know who Jesus is? He is the savior of sinners. This is the wonderful surprise that we find when we come to Jesus, when we meet with him and eat with him at the table. Maybe you think of Jesus as a teacher, but when you come to him, you find he's a savior. Maybe you expect him to be a loan shark, and yet he frees you from your debt. We expect maybe that he'll want to burden us and take from us and make life hard from us, but instead he gives himself to us, even to the point of death. We might expect a throne of judgment. Instead, he takes the judgment on the cross and he says to us, Welcome, come in, come, come all, come all sinners and feast with me. Are you a sinner? Well, folks, here is God's soup kitchen for us. Here's a meal for beggars. If you know you're a great sinner, but Jesus is an even greater sinner, a greater savior, then you're welcome. Come, confess your sin, turn to him, and eat with Jesus. And he will say to you, verse 50, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Maybe you're more like Simon this morning. I don't know, maybe you've been a Christian for a while and I wonder what you think your biggest temptation is. 
I suspect that many of us think that our biggest temptation is that we might become more like this sinful woman. Or we might be tempted by this sinful woman. But you know what your biggest temptation is? You know what mine is? It's that I might become a Pharisee. That is by far, by far the more dangerous, more deceitful, more damnable error in Jesus' eyes. Simon thought too well of himself. And he thought too badly of people who were different to him. And he was lukewarm about Jesus. It sounds so ordinary, doesn't it? Yet, folks, that is spiritual death. It is spiritual death. No real love for Jesus. No love for the Savior of sinners. For our only hope of freedom from judgment in a world of condemnation. For the Lord of life who pours himself out to death for us. No love for Christ. That's our biggest danger. And so this morning, if you feel sluggishly cold in your affections toward Jesus, let his broken body break your heart. Let his love revive you as you see it here. Come again and receive from him his forgiveness. He had to die. So great was his love. Yet he wanted to die. So much does he love us. Boy, does he love us. And do you see why I love this story, why I love Jesus? For as we pull up a seat at the table of the king, we find that we are more wicked than we might ever have thought, and yet more loved than we could ever imagine. Let me pray for us before we sing again. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that even though we have turned our backs on you, even though our debt against you is outrageous, the love that you have for us is even more outrageous so that you sent your one and only son to the cross to die for us, that we could be free of debt and know your love and your freedom in all its abundance. Father, pray you'd help us to see that this morning. Help us to uh, turn to you with questions we have about that, to take the chance to ask about that, and to know your love and to walk in it every step of the way for the rest of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.